0: Hi everyone and welcome to episode 23 of Her Story. This is your host Cassidy Reed and today I'm talking with Lisa Lisanic Chapel, aka Lisa Liz. And in this episode, Lisa and I talk about her career, her life, some of her experiences and it all kind of revolves around gender equity with brass musicians. So I'm really excited for all of you to hear what she has to say and to take a peek into lisa's life so let us know what you think and please share this with your friends we really appreciate all of you listening every week so thank you so much
1: Hello, everybody. I'm super excited to be here today. I've actually listened to a few of the podcast episodes. So um, yeah, I really liked it. Really cool opportunity for female musicians. Okay, so my name is Lisa Lazanic chapel or I've been going by Lisa Liz online, Lisa Liz Trombone. I'm a freelance trombone player and music teacher, currently based in Yokosuka, Japan. I will be moving back to the States. I'll be moving to the Seattle area. I'm originally from Phoenix, Arizona, so that's where I grew up, did all my schooling. I went to college there as well. I went to Arizona State University for both my bachelor's and my master's degree.
0: Very cool. Okay, so Lisa, what got you into music in the first place?
1: Yeah, so for me, music really did happen as a young kid. I mean, I was two years old, three years old, and I think it was really just watching Disney movies and musicals. Mm
0: -hmm. Me too.
1: yeah, just as a kid, it was like if I had the choice to watch something with music or without it was always with music, you know, I loved all those sing alongs, you know, the stuff with like the bouncing ball and I loved musicals, all the Disney stuff, you know, Beauty and the Beast, Little Mermaid, I loved older musicals too, like Mary Poppins was a huge favorite of mine. And I just loved singing along and watching all that stuff. So it, I just loved music right away, really. What made you choose trombone as your instrument? So I kind of came to the trombone a little later in life. So the first instrument I played, like a lot of us, I started on piano, started taking piano lessons when I was around nine or 10 years old. So I did that and then in elementary school I joined the school band and I started on saxophone actually, but I really didn't like it. So I only played it for about six months, and then I started playing the clarinet, which I actually really liked. And I played the clarinet up until high school, and actually still a little bit in my high school experience, high school career. But it was when I was entering into high school, the marching band, which I was desperate to be a part of, the marching band director at my high school only allowed 10 flutes and 10 clarinets into the marching band. Basically, he didn't want, you know, a whole entire marching band of flutes and clarinets and none of the other instruments. Yeah. So, he was really trying to as he was recruiting in middle school students, really re- trying to recruit people to switch to brass instruments, specifically low brass because those were very underrepresented. So, I had a choice of, you know, trombone, baritone, or tuba and I just thought the trombone looked the coolest it sounded really awesome. It was loud. The slide looked fun. It was, you know, up until that point, I already like had an interest in playing a lot of different instruments. So the trombone just looked like a lot of fun. So I started doing it for marching band uh, in high school and then I was hooked from then.
0: (laughs) That's so cool that you were able to, you know, start an instrument that ended up being your primary that you pursued professionally. So yeah. late in comparison to some other students, you know, a lot of students like me, for example, started my primary in 4th grade and then never left it. <laughs> I
1: like looking back, I really wish I would have had that experience. Yeah, because I have always, you know, we can go more into this later, but have felt like an underdog, you know, just cuz I started later and then I have have had a lot of other experiences with that just having less experience than my peers, so I think it kind of started there. You know, I didn't start playing the trombone until I was, what, been about 15 years old. So I certainly wish I would have found my instrument from the very first one I picked. But it was like I just hadn't found it yet. You know, I, I kept switching around instruments. And I always had that love for music. But I was just never super into one instrument until I started playing the trombone. So
0: Yeah, no, but that's really cool and very interesting, I think.
1: Yeah, it's a little different,
0: but like I said, I wish I could have those years back, but I mean, it's
1: like coulda, woulda, shoulda, you know, we all have those things Mm -hmm. that we wish we would have done differently, so.
0: (laughs) Did you, when you were playing trombone in high school, did you have the perception that this was a very male-dominated instrument already, or were you just kind of like a little unaware of it as a kid?
1: I was actually unaware of it as a kid, it wasn't actually until college. And then I did do drum corps later on, um, where I started to become aware of it, that it was a masculine instrument. In my high school band, the numbers in the brass, across the brass sections were pretty even. I mean, there were less brass players than the woodwinds and, you know, everyone wanted to play drums, but it was pretty (laughs) even between boys and girls. So I think that's, something different maybe than a lot of other high school programs.
0: Yeah. So I yeah. wasn't aware
1: of it yet. It was, it was pretty, it was pretty even.
0: Yeah. I mean, I had girls in my trumpet section that played along with me all the way through school. So I never really felt in my immediate school that kind of, that I was ostracized in any way. Yeah. definitely felt that way when I started pursuing opportunities outside of school, mm-hmm. um, whether it were all county or all state or, any, any sort of music festival that I did during the summer, that's when I really started to feel the, Oh, I'm really outnumbered. And then yeah. obviously when I went to college, I saw that even more blown up. Oh, yeah. In face. But yeah, no, my immediate school was, I wouldn't say even, we definitely always had more boy, black mm-hmm. faster than, than female brass players. But yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't like I was the only ever, you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's interesting. I think it's, just school to school, you know, I, in college, oh my gosh. I mean, in my undergrad, I, I maybe one or two other girls came in throughout my whole time there. And I did do drum and bugle corps for a, a lot of years. And in one of the drum corps, I did, the Blue Devils, I was the only girl in the whole low brass section. So mm-hmm. I, it was definitely yeah, a little later after high school, that I started realizing, oh my gosh, where like where are all the girls? They're, I'm the only one. This is so weird. So, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Like maybe I would have gotten more used to it if it was like that in my high school. Yeah, if if I was the only girl since high school. So it was definitely kind of a shock once you start to get in situations where you're like, I'm the only girl here. Who, who am I supposed to talk to? Like, do I have to <laughs> totally? totally change like what we're talking about and you know you want to fit in so it's it's hard
0: yeah and I was going to ask about that next how were your collegiate experiences being a trombone player being a female trombone player in general were they mainly positive negative kind of a grab bag how were your relationships with you know other members of your studio and faculty and those sorts of things
1: yeah so in my bachelor's degree at ASU so the first year going into the studio, I, I, I can't remember, there might have been like one female trombone graduate student at the time, but we didn't really, you know, I was a freshman, I was young, she was so much older, so I don't really think I had really much interaction with her. So there was, it was kind of just me, and it's actually really funny. So there were four of us, well, there was more than four, but specifically, these four trombonists, we all entered, you know, the same year, our freshman year. And they are still some of my best friends to this day. Like we really had a click, you know, like the freshman trombone players. And I was the only girl. So I think from that very first year, I kind of got used to this idea of just being in the boys club, Mm -hmm. really trying to fit in being one of the guys, just adapting that kind of whole persona. It just seemed to go along with this new life I was trying to live, right? This like college music student doing the musical, uh, music school thing. So yeah, I, I think it certainly has shaped my entire life or I would even say my relationship with men in, in general, you know, just being in so many environments where you're the only girl, you know, how do you adapt? What do you do? So I think I just, I, all my friends were male, you know? So I think that's certainly... What started to happen there is just being in an all-male environment, trying to hang with the guys, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Not really having that sort of like female camaraderie, I guess you could say, or another girl to to kind of talk to. I felt like I, I didn't have that.
0: Were you able to find, did you listen to any female trombonists while you were in college, like anyone at the professional level to try to, you know find your own support system in any way or someone to look up to?
1: No, not at all. And to be honest, I didn't even think about it. I mean my undergrad gosh, that was I mean, that was 15, 16 years ago when I started my undergrad. So I I think the world like is a very different place right now, especially with the whole you know, Me Too movement that happened. And I think feminism is kind of having a comeback in a sense. And I'm loving it. I think it's awesome, you know, finally getting to connect with all these female musicians and having these opportunities. But I think 15 years ago, it wasn't quite talked about as much. And me being a 17 year old, 18 year old, I I certainly wasn't thinking about it. So no, that's another thing I kind of I don't want to use the word regret, but certainly think about when I reflect back is, no, I didn't know a single female trombone player. None of my teachers were female. I had never heard of one. None of my teachers recommended any. And also the internet wasn't as big as it was back then. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I feel like now through social media and the internet, I'm finding all sorts of female trombone players, you know, that I like to listen to. But back then it was like, it was like zero. I didn't even make a connection that a girl could be a, a trombone player because I just didn't see, yeah. I didn't see any, like
0: at all. <laughs> yeah, that's, I feel like one of the biggest issues is that representation piece. I feel like for a lot of kids, I mean, there are people mm-hmm. like us, like I never had a female trumpet teacher either. And so there are people like us that kind of, you know, make it through, that go through the cracks and they're like, okay, you know, I really want to do this and I'm not going to. Yeah. Of those issues stop me, and there are some of us that are like that. But I feel like there are a lot of women, young women, who Mm -hmm. are also discouraged by that, and then they don't end up pursuing it because they never see anybody that looks like them. And I think that's one of the biggest issues in our field is that. And that starts with K 12 education, that starts with teachers showing kids people that look like them in the profession so they're not discouraged and they see that representation, even if it's not there in person for them.
1: Yeah, I totally agree with that. That it does start, you know, at the lower level. But yeah, it's crazy for me to think back. And I didn't have any examples, like zero. So I guess it was just all self-motivated. You know, I didn't have any outside support or motivation. It was just, yeah, I'm going to do this. And yeah, I'm a girl, but so what? I'll just try my best, you know, keep going. This is what I want to do. So Yeah. yeah, it's very interesting to think about
0: yeah yeah for sure yeah i was i was definitely the same way i was kind of like that rebellious kid from the very beginning like no i'm not gonna play and i i had that perception of what and what instruments were girl instruments and what instruments were quote unquote boy instruments by yeah. I already had that mentality yeah. in my brain and all my friends were f- picking like flute and clarinet and things like that and I was like oh hell no I'm picking the trumpet like I like this <laughs> instrument. I don't care yeah. all my, my whole section is boys I don't care I like this yeah. instrument and that's what I'm going to do and so I'm trying to encourage my students in my program and in my district to be authentically picking an instrument Mm -hmm. because they like the sound, right? Not just because, oh, I'm seeing a bunch of women play this. So that means I must be, I must have to do it. And even if we're not consciously thinking about that, there is that subconscious in the back of the brain, like, oh, I want to be with people that are like me. That's how everybody is. And so I'm trying to break down those barriers. So it's just, hey, do you like the sound of this or not? And then if it ends up being, like hey a bunch of girls in my band actually authentically like the sound of the flute like that's great I'm not going to force a kid to play an instrument they don't want to play right but mm-hmm. it's got to be about do you actually like playing your instrument and you like the sound because that's how we're going to retain kids all the way through you know
1: yeah I thought it was really inter- interesting what you said about I want to be with people that are like me because I think that was one of the main things Like for me, music has always been very social. I think that's one of the things yeah. that I enjoy the most about it is just the community it brings. And you know, all my best friends are musicians. I, I married another musician. Yep. You know, I love that communal aspect of it. So as far as like being with people that are like me, when I was playing the clarinet in my elementary school, junior high, beginning of high school years, I don't think I really jived with the people <laughs> very well. You know, being that goody-two-shoes girl up in the front row, kind of suck-up kind of mentality. Sorry, mm-hmm.
0: clarinet players out there. <laughs> Sorry. We On all have best- stereotypical personalities. It's fine. Yeah.
1: So I just didn't – that just didn't feel good to me. It didn't jive with me. You know, there are a lot of girls I didn't really get along with. But when I started playing the trombone, and there is no experience, like, sitting in the back row. I mean, I think we all know you're a trombone player. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. You know, I get – get back there and start hanging out with the low brass players and you know, the percussionists are right behind you. And it's like, it is like a different world back there.
0: You know, It's like, wow, we can get away with anything back here. You know, it's so funny now because I'm a middle school and high school band direct and you know, I've spent my whole life in the back row. Yeah. So it's, it's so funny being a teacher now because I know the stuff that they're doing back there because I, <laughs> yeah. And like my squirreliest <laughs> section in my high school band are my trombonists. I have four male trombonists in my high school band. They are all, they just finished ninth grade. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They're all in the same grade. They are all best friends. Yep. (laughs) Ends up being a great nightmare. It's like, it's, I love those kids, like the kids are the biggest goofballs in band. I mean, I feel like <laughs> other band directors want to pull their hair out with these kids, and they're like my favorite kids. Aww. And, uh, you know, and because I've been there, like I get it. I've yeah. been in the back row my whole life, so I'm like, you know what. I- <laughs> I understand what you're doing right now. Like I've been there, but like, can we not, (laughs) you know? And so yeah, that whole back row, but yeah, I, I definitely think there is a, is a perception that it still exists with male dominated Mm -hmm. instruments and those sorts of things, especially when you get in the low brass territory. Um, Yeah. even my high school band, the trumpet section, I have 12 trumpet players in my high school band and they're all men. Wow. Up there. So, I, mean, I just finished my first year, so I couldn't mm-hmm. really, you know, inspire much change for the beginning band kids because, you know, it was my first year walking in, but I looked at this section and I was like, uh, wait a minute, something's wrong here.
1: <laughs> wow. So you mentioned you teach middle school and high school. Mm-hmm. So in your middle school then, do you, is it like a feeder school that goes into the high school?
0: Yeah. So I teach in a 612 building. Okay. So, so yeah. So I teach se- a seventh and eighth grade band, and then I have a nine through twelve band. And then my uh, my counterpart teaches the sixth grade band, and then two jazz bands. So okay. um, I have them from 7th through 12th grade, which is great because, you know, we get that consistency and curriculum yeah. and everything. And I get to build like really strong relationships with my kids. And it's really fun just watching them, you know, go through and develop and that sort of thing. But yeah, mm-hmm. so yeah, they're great. They're good kids. But yeah, we're in a 612 building. so. Okay. So yeah, you'll probably have more of
1: a chance to get them young then with the, mm-hmm. like you were mentioning, like showing examples of female Yeah. I
0: actually started a project with my district. Um, We were creating a website and I recruited a bunch of my, my friends from college and both my undergrad and my master's degrees, both schools. And I said, Hey, like, can you guys help me with this project? So I have people coming in on their primary instruments. So I have a male and female representation for every instrument. And so on this website, beginning band kids can click on, the, on an instrument. So let's say they, it just says like flute or whatever. So they click on flute and then side by side, there are two windows and it's a video of a, of a male playing the flute and a female playing the flute. So they're seeing that visual right away. And then they could click on the videos and listen to them play. But I have them both videos starting off playing just the melody to Ode to Joyce. So the kids get a sound concept of the instrument first before they hear whatever. Interesting. Yeah, whatever a tutor excerpt that I asked my friends to play as well. So they're seeing side by side a male and a female playing every single instrument. So there's no bias there. They click on it and boom, it's right there. So they can't sit there and say, oh, well, only the girls play the flute because I just have a female up there. Mm-hmm. So I made mm-hmm. sure I purposely had male and female representation for every single instrument.
1: No, I, I think that's great. And I, I hope there's a trend that that continues. Through, you know, through on up the education system, you know, not just in Mm -hmm. elementary, but then middle school, high school, and even into the college and the professional realm. I think, I think that's great.
0: And I think especially during this time with all the COVID stuff that's happening and a lot of schools are probably going to have to continue virtual learning into the fall. I think that's Mm -hmm. also a great way for programs to recruit kids for beginning band because it's just it's literally a website. So you can just share it with their general teachers and the kids can go on the website and figure out, hey, you know, I might want to try out this instrument or whatever, and they get to, you know, write down their preferences, but they're not being, um, they're not having outside influences from their peers or whatever, because they're literally viewing this at home.
1: (laughs) So that's super interesting. Yeah, I'm sure peer influences is huge.
0: Oh, yeah. When I was student teaching, my cooperating teacher used the analogy of ice cream with the little kids. So he would say, you know, my favorite ice cream is chocolate chip. And my friend over there, their favorite ice cream is chocolate ice cream. Does my friend have to get chocolate chip ice cream just because I want chocolate chip? And all the kids are like, no. And he said, so if I want to play clarinet, and they want to play trombone, they don't have to play clarinet, right? And they're like, yeah it was really (laughs) cute but he kind (laughs) of used that analogy with them so they're not feeling that that pressure because he's like we all end up in band class anyway you know so um he tried to alleviate it that way but yeah there's definitely that peer pressure and you know you want to sit next to your friends you want to play the same instrument as them but then you have kids drop out so that's yeah a downside of that yeah I mean if they don't like it if they're gonna they're gonna drop out
1: and as we know it's like the music pool gets smaller and smaller you know with each grade level or even now you know the longer I've been a professional musician it also starts dropping out from our peers the longer we stay in the music Um, profession people are like oh I'm gonna go get a real job now or I don't want to freelance anymore I'm gonna go do this you know so the pool just gets smaller and smaller I feel the older you get
0: Yeah. Well, let's talk about your your freelancing experience because you have a lot. So you've done some international tours. You've done Mm -hmm. some Broadway work. You are a pit musician. not on Broadway, but... (laughs) Yeah, with with Arizona Broadway Theater. Yeah, with Broadway shows, yeah. (laughs) I wish I was on Broadway. That'd be awesome. (laughs) So why don't you talk a little bit about that and some of your experiences as a freelance professional trombone player? Sure. So... Certainly
1: throughout my master's degree and then going to the professional world, I think that's where I really started to see a lot of, you know, my undergrad was pretty PG, like I said, with the, the male-female thing, just mainly yeah. just male, male friends. But it was really in my master's degree and then moving over the professional world where I really started to see the difference. And I'll be honest, I hardly ever see another female trombonist or have had very little experience playing with another one so if I ever do see one I get really excited <laughs> but sure my first real professional experience was actually it was when I was still in my undergrad I took a semester off and I did a tour in Japan it was a show called Odyssey Brass Angels it was kind of like the show Blast so Blast is Gosh, this is a hard thing to explain. It is a musical production. It was was on Broadway for a while. It's actually won a Tony and an Emmy Award. It's kind of like if marching band or drum corps went into the theater. So you have elements, it's all brass and percussion players. So you have that element of like a marching band kind of feel, but it's in the theater, you know, so there's costume changes and lights and we really utilize the stage and it has more of a storyline, you know, play lots of different musical styles. It's really like a theatrical kind of event, you know, it's, it's super exciting. So that's Blast. So the show Odyssey that I did in 2008 is similar to that kind of production, but it was interestingly enough an all female production. So that was really awesome. Yeah, that's because cool. I was, yeah, I was like, I did not even know that many female brass and percussion players existed in the world so that was really really cool experience but that was my first tour in Japan where I live now and I was just hooked I was sold I was like this is just the coolest thing ever I was I think I was 21 or 22 at the time and that that was it for me that tour was really like all right I'm being a professional musician this is awesome (laughs) so I had a great time headed back to school after that finished up my back bachelor's degree a lot of stuff happened in between but then did my master's and after the first year my master's was when i got the job with blast which was that show i was just kind of mentioning again more touring we did the u.s korea again japan and then i went back to finish my master's degree i had one more year left and It was like after I had gotten that tour with Blast, I came back to the Phoenix area and all of a sudden my freelancing game just went through the roof, you know? I think just having like one kind of legit thing on my resume really, really helped as well as just the performance experience that I got from doing that tour. I mean, I was on tour for a year and a half. And I think I learned more as a professional musician in that tour than I have from, you know, any amount of schooling. (laughs) So just kind of really gaining that experience of being a touring musician. And also a lot of the other musicians on the tour were older than me. So I was able to learn from them and just how seriously they were taking their careers, you know, being an older age, being more experienced. So that was great. And I went back to the Phoenix area and just really started freelancing a lot. Uh, My main job, as you mentioned, I was the principal trombone at the Arizona Broadway Theater. Which is great. I love doing pit orchestra shows, and I mean, we had a you know busy schedule—eight shows a week—and it was just show after show after show after show. So it was really good to kind of get up my show repertoire, you know, as well as a consistent paycheck. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. And
1: when I wasn't playing there, I was doing other gigs. You know, I had system a system set up where I would call in a sub and go do other gigs. I I just had like very varied. I kind of like played whatever. I played everything. That was one of one of my teachers in college, Sam Plafian, who I was fortunate enough to study with when he was still alive. He was, he always used to tell me, he's just like, say yes. Just don't ask questions. Just say yes. Do everything. So I I certainly have taken that approach with my freelance career and I I still do it today. I mean, to be honest, that's, you know, why I'm doing this podcast, you know, it's just like, just say yes, just do it. (laughs) Just put yourself out there. Just keep doing stuff. So I really think that mentality just, kind of really helped me as a freelancer, you know, I just playing all sorts of different musical styles. I actually got really involved in the local scene in Phoenix, Arizona, like the local music scene, like playing in bands and stuff, Mm -hmm. which I really enjoy. Um, There was a band that I played with for a few years called the hourglass cats. And, you know, I was writing horn lines for the band and we were recording EPs and going on little tours and playing at music festivals and doing that kind of stuff. So I, I definitely enjoy that kind of music. To and the theater stuff, and just kind of whatever came my way, I would usually say yes to. So, yeah, and I just kind of did that in Arizona for it's hard to know the timeline I don't know, a year or two, a couple years. And then I kept touring with Blast in Japan. Usually it was like over the summer. So I was like going back and forth between Japan and Phoenix, Arizona, Japan, Phoenix, Arizona. And then in 2016, I got the opportunity to move to Japan and it's where I still am now and then I've done a few shows here getting to do more stage shows I did I don't know if you remember way back at the beginning of the interview I mentioned like I loved the Mary Poppins movie Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I got to play trombone and euphonium in the pit orchestra in the Japanese premiere Mary Poppins so that was yeah amazing to me it was kind of like coming full circle so that was like a really cool experience for me getting to play that show in Japan and um yeah i've done a few other stage shows here as well as since i was living in japan now i got the opportunity to start doing promo tours for blast so instead of just like doing the tour i was also doing all the like the press tour before it you know so like radio tv all that kind of stuff so starting to see more the music business side of it um that's so cool which I was, I never knew I was interested in that until I did it. I was like, wow, yeah. this, is, this is crazy. And there's, I never knew there was so much that goes into a show before it even like starts or hits the stage, you know. Mm-hmm. There's a whole other side of it. So yeah, very varied, I guess, even talking back to you or like, you know, saying this all back to you. It's like, geez, like kind of sound crazy, you know, but <laughs> that's just this approach I was taught. It's the approach that I decided to
0: take and...
1: I'm, I'm having fun. so. <laughs> yeah, it's great. So, yeah.
0: What is it like living in Japan, being, you know, an, an American and then going over to Japan to live there for a few years? What was that experience like for you? Well, I will say I don't think I have like 100% Japanese experience because
1: actually the way I was able to get a visa to come here is actually through my husband's job. Who he is also a trombonist <laughs> mm-hmm. and he plays in the US Navy band here in Japan. Gotcha. So I wouldn't say like I have a 100% authentic Japanese experience, but I will say to be able to work, I, I certainly had to learn Japanese. That was so the first year I was here, I just studied every single second, it yeah. was like all I was doing. I don't think I'm very good at it. I actually haven't been speaking it much lately because <laughs> I've been stuck at home <laughs> and not really out and about. But yeah, so that was the the hugest hurdle is just learning the language and the culture. And it's, it's just so different. So mm-hmm. yeah, that was the biggest thing,
0: I would say. Yeah, and have you experienced any sort of, in any of your experiences, so whether you were in Japan or in the States, have you ever experienced any sort of misogynistic sort of either whether they were microaggressions or not so microaggressions or what have you being a female trombonist?
1: Yeah, definitely. So I think my hugest misogynistic story, and I'm not going to like go too crazy into detail with it because I'm not really ready to like talk about all the details. Mm -hmm. But I would have to say it was when I was younger. It wasn't in school or college, but it was in this activity drum and bugle corps, which I think I mentioned to you earlier. I think I was 17 at the time, and I was um, in this drum corps called the Blue Devils, and I was the youngest, I was like one of the youngest people there. So I was 17 years old and a female, and like I said, the only girl in the whole low brass section. So it was like I had a target on my back. For, for many of those reasons. And to this day, I, I still question. It was like, did I get picked on because I was young or was it because I was a girl or was it because I was the worst person there? <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm not, sh- I'm not sure. So yeah. um, But the guys were just really, really mean. <laughs> there were only a few of us girls in the whole brass section. So I'm talking like 60, 70 person brass line and there were probably only like five girls. And man, the, the boys pick on us just all the time. And it wasn't just, just like little things. It was really, really mean, nasty stuff. You know, definitely sexually explicit. It, it was like they used to just get off on making us cry. Wow. Uh, yeah, it, it, was, it was really bad. And I think at that age, I didn't really know how to handle it or what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, us girls definitely like stuck together. You know, we definitely formed a bond and I do remember a few instances specifically me and a friend of mine. She was a trumpet player there. We sat on the bus together and we were on the horn bus and we were the only two girls on that bus and the boys, they would just get up on the microphone and just, yeah, like I said, just say mean things and try to make us cry. And one day we kind of had enough of it and we went up to a staff member and was trying to tell him about the experience. And he was basically just like, you guys have to deal with this. Like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to deal with this. You guys have to figure it out. And we were just like, okay, well, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: he's not going to help us. So, you know, Drone Corps gave me a lot of things and especially like in my career, it's, I do reflect back on it often, but I can't say my experience there was entirely positive (laughs)
0: Yeah, I think it's hard with, with drum corps because that's such a competitive environment. Yeah. And when we look at a lot of the brass and the percussion sections in drum corps, it is very male-dominated. Yeah. And so that it is very easy for it to become a boys' club. Very mm-hmm. easy. And I feel like just the age of the majority of the musicians that are there are either upper high school, college age kids, and mm-hmm. I think that if there's not a whole lot of structure to what is going on, I feel like a group of people could really take that those misogynistic ideals and run with them. Oh yeah, and like yeah. you said, like looking back on it,
1: I was a kid. I was seventeen. Those I call them boys because they were boys. You know, yeah, yeah, they were probably late high school, early college age. So exactly, and but I think that it's actually interesting before I joined that year to the Blue Devils, I was 17. The core director actually had to call my parents and said to them, like made a personal call to my parents and said, look, we really don't like letting people under the age of 18 into the strong core. You know, here are the things that might happen. Kind of just Mm. letting them know of the environment I was walking into and, you know, the fact that I was a girl and all this. And it's like, they had to get special permission from my parents. Because wow. at that time, that drum corps really kind of took a hands-off approach. And that's why they only like to take people over the age of 18. So they, yeah, it wasn't necessarily like an educational kind of environment. It was more just like, you guys are adults and we're the staff. So yeah. that was how it was back then. I now have friends that are teaching in the drum corps activity. And from what they have told me, it's, it's a completely different thing now, 15 years later. like It's very educational and it's very... Yeah a lot softer and so I'm not sure but it you know 15 years ago or however many years ago that was like it it, it was a pretty uh, hostile environment if my memory serves me yeah right.
0: <laughs> I mean I have a friend that his last season with the blue coats was last year he aged out but yeah he's talked to me about some of his experiences before with drum corps and it seems to be that now we have there are more and more uh, female brass players participating in drum corps Mm -hmm. obviously it's still a male-dominated sort of activity but there's more and more representation there so he Mm -hmm. hasn't really told me that the situations that happen to you necessarily happen i mean i'm sure there are still situations that that do occur but it doesn't seem to be as as stark apparent that this is like a major problem but again i don't want to make assumptions but from what he has talked to me about he hasn't witnessed anything that he knows of
1: yeah i mean and it's all about people who are talking about it too like to be honest this is so this was in 2004 16 years ago this is the first time Mm -hmm. i've really talked about this in a public setting you know like yeah so i also think there's that idea of just people getting comfortable with telling their story in a sense Mm -hmm because i feel sometimes as a female musician if i look back on these experiences and and say those kinds of things it's like well maybe it's because i maybe they were picking on me because i was bad maybe it wasn't because i was a girl maybe it's because i thought i sucked you know so it's there's always this question of am i good enough yeah i feel sometimes like when you're the only female or if you are receiving lesser treatment than your male colleagues you know sometimes those questions or those insecurities creep into your mind of so it's hard to say and I think I never shared it before because I didn't want to seem like I was complaining or I was like oh geez I don't want this to ruin my career if I start speaking badly about a great organization that I was a part of you know so so sometimes there's those questions when you do bring things forward of like what are the repercussions going to be.
0: Yeah. And you were, you were speaking about how it, it took you until now to talk about this publicly and how yeah. we, you, and you mentioned that we need to normalize having these conversations and that sort mm-hmm. of thing. And I completely agree with that because I feel like young women, especially those that, that are in an institution, whether it's a school of music and they're receiving this sort of treatment or in drum corps, like in your case, or in mm-hmm. some sort of organization, they are afraid of the repercussions. Yeah, Um, And I think that has to do with a lot of influences in society and what we see on the media when women try to report things and how Mm -hmm. they're often squandered for reporting them. And I think that's why something like this is so important, like what we're doing and having this conversation and it will be going publicly. I think it's so important to have that because here we are talking about our experiences and nobody can come down on us and say, hey, you can't do that because guess what? Yeah sitting in a room yeah. alone with a microphone. So come get me. Yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean, though? Like we, right. we can use this platform to to have these conversations and not feel like there will be repercussions for our actions. But it's, it's sad that we live in a society where women feel like they can't report things that have happened to them.
1: Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And like I said, especially when you're in a male-dominated environment where you're the only woman, you at least I mean, you as in like me or everyone. It's like, you can't help but second guess yourself. Like, I would love to meet a female brass musician who has the confidence to not never second guess these kind of things. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's something that I want to try to implement more into my train of thought. So, but a lot of this stuff is deep rooted from stuff like this, you know, in the past. And I don't know, it's, it's interesting to kind of reflect and think back. and Yeah. Yeah, think about it. I
0: think we also have to, as female brass players, I feel like we always have to kind of overcompensate for who we are in order to fit in in an environment that is male-dominated. We have to be more Mm -hmm. aggressive or more assertive or yada, 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 yada. I felt like I had to do that all the way through school. I had to be on the defense a lot. I've now... Realized that, you know, if I'm just me, then people are just going to have to deal with it. But Mm -hmm. uh, in my undergrad a lot, I was on the defense a lot. Like, how am I presenting myself? Especially just me being a five foot four woman, like I'm not very big. And I was playing in sections with guys that were over a foot taller than me. So yeah, so just in that i was like okay i always just have to play big and huge with a super full sound and all these other things and you know come across as being an extremely extroverted person even though i'm not at all i'm definitely an introvert but things like that i i needed to present myself in a way that wasn't authentically me
1: yeah it's i certainly know exactly what you mean i feel i know it's kind of cliche but we it's like you have to be 10 times better than all the guys just to even yes. be considered on the same level yep. and and then you might still not get the job or still might not get the solo because you know they just want a guy to play it and because it, you don't all fit guys. the image yeah i've certainly dealt with that a lot you know they just want a masculine image or a masculine person Actually, when you were saying all that, a, a few other ideas popped into my head from my co- time in college. It's like the more we talk, the more things are kind of, you know, coming to the surface yeah. in my brain. But this idea of image, I, I'm at this point now in my career. Well, let me tell about the college examples first of just why do male musicians always just have to comment on the way you look? <laughs> it's like, were you yeah. not even listening to the way I was playing? Yeah, yeah. I was playing in a master class once and a famous trombonist who I'm not going to name. He, you know, we all had like a name tag on and then a number underneath, which like coincided to the year. So I was a sophomore at the time. So I had a number two under my name, just so he knew what level we were at. And I get up on the stage. And I mean, this man, I don't don't remember how old he was at the time old to me. I don't know, fifties, sixties. And he's like, Oh, a two. He's like, you look more like a 10 to me. And literally everyone started laughing and that was like before i even played my master class i was just like well now i feel gross now i feel nervous now i feel all these feelings that like i came here to play the trombone and i respected you as a musician and you're like hitting on an 18 year old girl like gross so you know comments like that or just comments about what we're wearing you know if their recital dress was too short or or whatever and too short, too long, too this, too that. Yeah. I, I think that's another thing is also, you know, all already second guessing your, your playing and your presentation, but now you also have to second
0: guess your appearance because apparently yeah. that's all your male colleagues and what's want to funny, talk about. What's funny to me when you mentioned that story is that you didn't think of that right away when we started the interview and we were, we were talking about different things. And, you know, that is a situation in your life that is so was so apparently sexist and you're speaking to you but this happens so frequently to us Mm -hmm. that they're not even like they're not at the forefront of your brain when we start talking about these things because it's happened so many times that is this has become normalcy almost and in the moment you're like wow that was terrible but you don't know what to say and then you Mm -hmm. think about it back on it in the future and then you're like yeah you know what that was really screwed up i should have said this or i should have said that you sit there and you're like wow i didn't even think of that when we were having this conversation because it's happened to me so many times and i think men need to understand that this happens to us so frequently that it's not even like a super shocking thing whereas if that happened to a man they would be complaining about that for weeks
1: yeah, yeah, they, certainly. And I, I think it's it's definitely played into my public image or how I try to represent myself. Like I, you know, I always try to kind of tone it down. I, I usually don't wear a lot of makeup unless I'm in like a stage performance where I have to. And, you know, I try not to dress too sexy, you know, because I still consider myself an educator as well. And I want to set a good example. Mm-hmm. But it's also because I just don't want men, like I already feel um, I'm, starting to do a lot more on social media now these days and I already feel like most of the posts that men post are just like oh you're so beautiful it's like were you not listening to like the trumpet yep. I was playing or the yep. educational advice I was giving so I almost think it makes me want to in a way try to look less attractive or just try to not highlight things because I just don't want all that attention I don't know I want the attention to be because of my musicianship and I feel like that's another thing female musicians have to struggle with. I think more so than men do, you know, we don't sexualize men as much as women.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Well, definitely not, not in music. If somebody went up and played in a class and they were a dude, all of the talk would be about how they played and yeah. ideas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've seen it all the time.
1: Yeah. It's, it's crazy. So I, I think now I don't get so many comments. Like I wouldn't say I've experienced anything very misogynistic, like in that kind of way, recently, um, you know, this is all stuff when I was younger, which just makes me think, maybe I just didn't know how to handle it back then. You know, I'm now I'm Mm. almost going to be 34. You know, now I'm a 34 year old woman with, you know, professional music experience. And I just carry myself differently. You know, I don't think a guy would come up to me and say something like that now, you know, but a helpless 17 year old girl is an easier target to make those. to.
0: And I feel like when we're in college and we're in that setting in a master class where there's, you know, you're working with a professional musician who is seen as one of the top trombonists in the country or the world or whatever, you feel that pressure to not be able to say anything because they are in a position of power over you. And I feel like once you get out of college and now you yourself are a professional musician, I feel like now it's more of an equal playing field. And now you have that confidence to be like, yeah, you know what? That was not cool. But it's hard when you're in college because you're in an institution. They are in the position of power. You don't want to piss your teacher off by saying anything, you don't want to piss your studio yeah. off by saying anything. So you just sit there in silence. Yep. Just going back to what I was saying earlier, there's
1: always that idea of you don't speak up because of the repercussions it could have on your career. For instance, I didn't name that trombonus and I'm not going to today because I don't want to, you know, so there's still that feeling of not exactly speaking forward or not exactly calling people out because you don't want to have the repercussions on your career. And maybe yeah. in my, as I get older, maybe, you know, 10 years from now, another 20 years from now, who knows, I'll, I'll have the confidence to stop caring about that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah. Right now, I,
1: I don't think I have quite the confidence to, like, name people. So Yeah, no,
0: and that's perfectly fine. That's your decision. I don't think anybody yeah. should feel pressured to do those things. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's hard. When they're in these positions of power, they have control. And especially when it comes to college students, they have a lot of control. And that's why wow. I'm so happy like there's this Instagram account called Music School Stories that recently developed, and oh. literally the Instagram account is just for people telling their stories about abusive uh, abuses of power that professors and studio teachers have had over students through the course of the years and is basically not necessarily they're not necessarily outing the specific people, some of them are mm-hmm. some of them are choosing not to, but they are tagging the schools. Wow. And- So these institutions are now having to be held accountable, including my school. I currently go to the Eastman School of Music and we have had numerous issues with a particular teacher at my school. And I know exactly who they're talking about. And they've had people report against him for years and years and years. And this guy has never been held accountable. And so like, well, you know, it's not outing the people that are reporting, so they don't have to feel like their privacy is being violated. Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't have to choose to out the person, but it's still letting the schools know hey, we have a problem here, and you need to stop ignoring us. You need to stop sweeping things under the rug. You need to, you know, actually do an investigation in these people. Because I'm sorry, but no one wants to end up like CIM was a couple years ago.
1: Yeah. That shit oh. blew up. <laughs> I have just heard the stories, but I mean, it, that, that sounds horrible. So gosh. Yeah. And there just begs this question to me of these things have been happening for years. It's probably was worse years ago too, you know, but it's just now people are talking about it. So I think that's very interesting that this has been coming about in recent years, you know, females are coming forward and especially Like we were saying like as female brass musicians being in a field that is predominantly male it's i can't guarantee you you can talk to any female brass musician and they have so many stories like this you know
0: yeah yeah for sure and i think it has to do with the fact that a more female musicians are um, coming into positions of power Mm -hmm. and so female students and female professionals feel more comfortable with coming out with these stories And I think that with everything with the Me Too movement and everything, it's been empowering women to take back control. Yeah. Um, And I think that's another reason why that's the case. And social media, as much as it can be super toxic, it is also very helpful in things like this because you can publicly put something out there without having your name attached especially with an account like what I mentioned, it's putting mm-hmm. things out there without having your name attached. So you don't have to feel like, you know, you're, you're putting your identity out there with the chance that it may not work in your favor. So I think all of those factors are playing into the fact that women are just feeling more comfortable with A, talking about the issues and also B, reporting them when something happens to them. And I think that women need to support each other and help one another and really bond together and make sure that every female musician, especially brass players, feel supported.
1: Yeah, I I 100% agree. And I also think that is one of the positive things about social media as well, is just being able to expand your network. Yeah. You know, obviously for professional reasons, but also for these support reasons. You know, like I still know very few women brass players, you know, so then getting to meet people online through social media, it really it allows you to expand your network and realize that there are people like you out there, people who, who want to offer you support, people who you want to support. And I think uh, it's a place where female brass musicians can, can meet each other and connect, really.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. Well, Lisa, I want to thank you so much for talking with us today and sharing your stories. And I think we delved into a lot of issues and we were able to talk about some solutions, I feel like, for people to reach out and create their own support system.
1: Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me. It it was fun. Uh, It was enjoyable to kind of just let loose and tell some of these stories that I've never told before. Like, I certainly feel this little bit of a weight off my chest or... I feel like every interview I do, I'm getting more and more confidence to share more and more. So,
0: yes. Yeah. Yay.
1: That's so I, so I like that feeling. And I, I hope people listening to this can also gain that confidence to start sharing some of their stories, start talking about it, start reaching out and just help each other, support each other.
0: Yeah. And if you want to be a guest, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to tell your stories, you are more than welcome to.